It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are seconds away from hearing the daily Locked On podcast you love, but I'd like to tell you about another podcast I think you'll like. Rejecting the Screen, hosted by NBA experts Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko, features provocative interviews with NBA stars and unique perspectives from around the game. Subscribe to Rejecting the Screen wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, welcome to Locked On Warriors, your daily podcast on all things Warriors. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, I'm Wes Goldberg, Warriors beat reporter for the Mercury News. The Locked On Podcast Network pulled its hosts on our awards ballots, and uh, we have the results shared with us today. So what I'm going to do here is share them with you and then tell you how I voted, make some arguments about where I think the network as a whole went wrong. We're going to do MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, Sixth Man, uh, most improved, and then I'll have some quick thoughts on Coach of the Year and Executive of the Year. But let's start in the obvious place, and that's with the MVP. Uh, and the way the Locked On Podcast Network voted on MVP was pretty um, predictable. 94.3% of the NBA hosts voted for Giannis. Um, other votes came in for LeBron James. Uh, very little votes. And this is just for first place, so this is not an entire ballot, but... Um, yeah, 94.3% for Giannis. LeBron got a few first-place votes. Nobody else got any first-place votes, but um, those are the two obvious names. This is really a two-horse race. Uh, I voted for Giannis as my MVP. LeBron was second on the ballot. I actually thought that the Giannis versus LeBron debate was a little bit closer than a lot of people gave it credit for. And, and because the first argument that I hear, and the, the biggest one that I hear in favor of Giannis versus LeBron is that Giannis didn't have Anthony Davis, which is true, and I, I think that matters. But if you look at the on-off numbers and you look at all the stat, the, the advanced stats and those things, the Lakers really needed LeBron on the court. And um, they definitely took a step back whether or not Anthony Davis was on the court without Giannis or not, or without uh, LeBron or not. And that's always been the case for LeBron James' teams. He has always been sort of the center of that universe of every team that he's played on. And so when he's off the court, you know, if Rondo is running your offense, it's just not going to work as well. I don't care if you have Anthony Davis. And everything just revolves around LeBron, even when he has superstar teammates like Anthony Davis, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love. It doesn't matter. Um, LeBron is such a powerful presence on his team that when he's not there, it just doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Everything's built around him. Uh, it's the same thing for Giannis in Milwaukee. Obviously, everything is built around him. He just doesn't have the Anthony Davis outlet. Brooke Lopez, great player for them on the defensive end. Really helpful for them. Chris Middleton had an all-NBA caliber season this year. Uh, they definitely have way more depth than the Lakers do. So you factor in their depth and just the quality of play they got from a lot of their players. With LeBron, yeah, there's a little bit more. They're a little bit more top heavy than Milwaukee because they have LeBron and Anthony Davis, two top six players, but they don't have nearly the depth that Milwaukee does. So to me, I still give the edge to Giannis because just the advanced metrics and all that stuff is is just edges him out over LeBron. I I still think it was a pretty easy decision for me. But as far as one two, it's it's closer I think than a lot of people have it. Uh, Rounding out the rest of my ballot. 
James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, Luka Doncic. Uh, I was between Luka and Damian Lillard for that fifth spot on the ballot. It's just like a nominal honorary type deal. But um, I think you can go either way with that spot. Chris Paul, I thought about him for a little bit. I think you can go with any of those guys, honestly, at that spot. But uh, I I just think Luka is a better player. I think what Dallas did and how important Luka was to that, he's got some similar on-off numbers. that It's not a great disparity when Luka's on the court versus off the court. Those That Mavericks offense still works defensively. Um, there's still some shortcomings with Luka. But, um, and Lillard, I mean, his scoring season was unbelievable. And he... He had to shoulder a lot of responsibility for a Portland team that went into the season with real expectations. Dallas didn't really have high expectations, and they they exceeded those expectations. Where Portland, because of injuries, they underperformed. Uh, both teams are in the bubble, but I just I don't know. I just I, I ended up giving it to Luca, maybe just because he's newer. I don't I don't really know. But I, I if you gave it to Damian over Luca, I wouldn't I wouldn't have an issue with it. But really, what we're talking about is the fifth spot, and I think, like I said, it's a two person race. Um, the next category was Defensive Player of the Year. And this, to me, was a really interesting um, conversation, thought exercise. When I when I went into the numbers and looked at the film and just my general uh, thoughts from watching the, the NBA all season, I thought I would have Anthony Davis a lot higher just from the, the eye test. And then you go into the numbers, you kind of... You take away the the newness of the Lakers being good and the Lakers defense being as good as it was, and uh, you've got to go, you got to go Giannis with this. You've got to go Giannis with defensive play of the year and Rudy Gobert. I think he's a little underrated because the style of play, the style of player he is, is very old fashioned. I think we tend to underrate Rudy Gobert, especially his impact defensively. Um, with Anthony Davis, who's whose, I guess, impact and effort waned a little bit more than those two guys. Giannis was just every day. And that was, again, eye test, and then the the, the, the metrics bear it out. Milwaukee's defense is unbelievable, one of the best defenses we've seen in in years, in almost half a decade. Giannis is the biggest part of that. Um, I saw a lot of people having Brooke Lopez on their ballot. I think that's fine. He's been amazing on the that end. I just I don't love putting two bucks in the top three, um, and I want to sort of spread the wealth. I think they deserve it. I think the, the Lakers... Defense deserves it. The Bucks' defense deserved it. Um, Utah's defense didn't deserve it as much, of, ha- but Gobert did, especially because Utah's defense took a step back because they went with more offense this year and getting Bogdanovich there and altering their lineups. They went with more offense, and Gobert's role became just that much more important on the defensive end. So I have Giannis at number one. So does the Locked On Podcast Network. They have Giannis at 65.7% for Defensive Player of the Year. Anthony Davis was second with 14.3% of the vote. Rudy Gobert was third at 11.4% of the vote. Brooke Lopez um, was fourth with 8.6% of the vote. Giannis, to me, again, he was a shoe-in. Defensive Player of the Year, no doubt. Can guard all five positions, but can go to all five positions really well. You can't really say that about Anthony Davis, and you certainly can't say that about Rudy Gobert. So Giannis gets it. Just absolutely transformative on that end. Uh, could be the best defensive center in the league, in addition to one of the best wing defenders in the league. I mean, he's just a nightmare with those arms. Uh, the way he can create turnovers and wreak havoc on that end. Uh, it's just unmatched since anything we've since, seen since, like, peak Spurs Kawhi Leonard. Um, okay. The last um, position I want to get to here before we go to break, Rookie of the Year. This one was really easy. 
Uh, John Morant got 100% of first place votes from the Lockdown NBA hosts. But uh, to me, what was interesting about the Rookie of the Year ballot was whether or not you include Zion Williamson or not. And I went back and forth on this quite a bit. And ultimately, I went with the body of work, guys, because Zion played 19 games and they were sensational, those 19 games. And maybe you could say with the league playing, you know, 65-ish games or whatever it was, that, um, you know, 19 games in 65 games is a, is definitely a greater proportion of games than 19 games in an 82-game season. Um, so I think that's important to keep in mind, not to just look at that raw 19-game number. Um, the fact that he had New Orleans playing as well as they did toward the end of the year was great. But what... What Kendrick Nunn and Brandon Clark did for their teams uh, for the entire season, I just think needs to be recognized. Like Kendrick Nunn uh, being a go-to scorer so much for that Heat team, and he, his numbers cooled off a little bit. But for the beginning of the year and for the most part, I mean, he was a go-to guy for them um, in a lot of games. And Brandon Clark was sensational. I mean, defensively, offensively, I mean, what he was doing for Memphis along with John Morant was awesome. And so when you look at just... In total, what those guys did, I just I think it deserves to be recognized. Zion is going to be first team all rookie. I have no problem with him making it there. But as far as cracking the top three in my rookie of the year voting, I I just didn't want. I, I ultimately didn't feel as comfortable including him for that um, for a rookie of the year ballot. Like I just I don't think he has a claim to rookie of the year where you could make a case for these other guys. Even though John Morant is the runaway favorite. Um, for that, I'll get the sixth man of the year next, which is where I have the biggest disagreement with my network. But first, start your morning with the news that matters in just 10 minutes. Axios Today host Nyla Boodoo and a team of award-winning journalists will bring you the latest analysis and insight into the trends shaping our world. And let's talk about my bookie. Say it with me. Sports are back, baby. And I've been waiting for this day since March. And now that it's here, I've only got one thing on my mind. My bookie. My bookie is a home run, slam dunk, triple overtime, game winning shot, all wrapped up into one. I love it. You love it. And that should be all you need to hear in order to start betting today. My bookie has up to the minute odds on all of your favorite teams. And with the start of Major League Baseball just around the corner, there's never been a better time to start playing. With my bookie, it's easy. You bet, you win, they pay. If you're feeling good about your team's chances this year, be sure to check out MyBookie's World Series future bets. Nothing shows that you believe in your squad more than putting a bet on them. Smart bettors are always looking toward the future. And in this case, that means basketball, hockey, and football. MyBookie is already accepting bets on all of your favorite NBA, NHL, and NFL games. There's never been a better time to start exploring the world of online sports betting. In fact, I was reading an article earlier today that says some of the stock market uh, boom that's happening right now is in large part due to to sports betting coming back. There are a lot of people betting on sports, and a lot of people are using MyBookie to do that. Now's the time to take advantage. You've got maybe money lying around that you haven't used because maybe you weren't sports betting before, now you are. Uh, you know, Fantasy sports is kind of up in the air, but MyBookie is a place where you can get in on the action every day right away. If this is what you're into, MyBookie is the place to do it. Join today, and MyBookie will match your deposit 100%. Plus, they'll toss you a free $10 MLB future wager. All you've got to do is enter the promo code LOCKEDONNBA when you sign up. Remember, at MyBookie, the terms are simple. You bet, you win, they pay. Is there anything more craveable than the smell of McDonald's fries? If someone's hiding an order of fries, they're never hiding it well. 
It takes one whiff to trigger a fry craving that will only be satisfied the McDonald's way. So stand up if you would like to taste the smell of a McDonald's fry right now. Did you just stand? Because if you did, then you earned yourself a trip to the McDonald's drive through for your own steamy carton of crispy golden goodness. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, I'll get to some thoughts on Coach of the Year and Executive of the Year later, but let's get to Six Man of the Year. Uh, I have a big problem with how my network voted on Six Man of the Year. I thought most of everything else was pretty good, but Six Man of the Year, I just thought that as a network, we really missed the boat on this. I don't know why we voted the way we did. Uh, 40% of people voted for Mikal Bridges from the Phoenix Suns, and and he was the winner at 40%. Behind him was uh, Montrez Harrell, the center from the Clippers at 31.4% of the vote. And then just a random assortment of votes for guys like David Bertans, uh, or Davis Bertans, excuse me, Seth Curry, Goran Dragic, George Hill, Derek Rose, Terrence Ross, Lou Williams. I mean, all over the place on Six Man of the Year. And I think a lot of players had a claim to Six Man of the Year um, just from, I don't know, a stats standpoint. But I don't know how you could vote for a guy on a losing team for this award. I just can't do it. Uh, To me, six-man is a position that only matters for winning teams. Uh, If if you're the six-man for a losing team that's oftentimes playing behind and has its bench unit in games at the the end of games a lot, like, of course you're going to get stats. Of course you are. Uh, Mikhail Bridges was really good, I thought, for Phoenix. He wasn't one of those guys. I think he could be a six-man at some point if he continues to come off the bench for his career. What he's able to do defensively, make threes out of the corner, and all those things are really valuable traits. But he did it for a really bad Phoenix team. And so I just don't think that the value of a six-man on a bad team is very high. right? When we think about valuable six-men, those are guys like Andre Iguodala, obviously, from the Warriors. Manu Ginobili. Uh, for those for those dynastic Spurs teams, I mean, that's when a six man really can make a difference in what uh, a team does and what a season um, and the season's outcome and all these things. But if you're just if you're Davis Bertans on the Wizards, like cool, great, great, like you improved a lot. You were uh, um, you have a claim to maybe most improved. You were impressive. You're gonna make a lot of money this summer, but you're not. You don't get to be six man of the year. I'm sorry, it just doesn't work that way. Terrence Ross, Derrick Rose, same thing. Like cool. You put up points on an average team. I don't. I don't care. And so my ballot here didn't even include those guys. Uh, I had Montrose Harrell winning Sixth Man of the Year. Uh, I just think that he mattered so much to those Clippers teams. Uh, Lou Williams won it last year. I think Lou Williams is an argument to be on a good, a strong argument to be on the ballot. He he's not on mine. It for me, it came down to Montrose Harrell and Dennis Schroeder from the Thunder because both of those guys filled major needs for those teams in minutes that mattered on teams that are in the playoffs, um, legitimately in the playoffs, and and and, um, and made a real difference for those teams. And Montrose Harrell, I thought, was a huge difference for them. This is an undersized Clippers team. He plays a ton of minutes with that second unit. He's a really good scorer, a little bit of an underrated defender. He could switch a bit more than you think. He could pass a little bit better on offense than you think. Um and yeah, there's definitely some chemistry between him and the Williams. It's sort of a symbiotic thing, like who's more responsible for the for the Clippers' um, depth and, and second unit scoring? Is it Montrez Harrell or is it Lou Williams? I thought last year it was definitely Lou Williams. This year, I thought Montrez Harrell got better. I thought he was a little bit more responsible for it. 
And I thought Lou Williams' role was a little bit more redundant. I think him as a ball handler is really important. But when you have Kawhi and Paul George and these guys, you don't need the scoring that Lou Williams provides as much. I don't know that Lou Williams is going to be in at the end of games. And he wasn't in at the end of games as much as Montrezl Harrell was. And so for that reason, Montrezl Harrell was my sixth man of the year. Schroeder was uh, runner-up for sixth man of the year because similar to Harrell, he provided the Thunder with something that they desperately needed, more ball handling, um, a guy who just a score-first guard, not afraid to shoot it. They have a lot of guys who are really unselfish, a lot of guys who... Uh, can defend at a high level, who are long, who are versatile, uh, who pass well, but they don't have a lot of score-first guys. You know, Chris Paul included, uh, he only he didn't even average 18 points per game this season. Shea Gilgis-Alexander was awesome for them, but I thought Schroeder, off the bench, played a really important role for a team that exceeded expectations, got into the playoffs legitimately, and you could play Schroeder again in lineups with Chris Paul and... Um, and uh, 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 Shea Gilgis-Alexander. So even though he's coming off the bench, he has a little bit of that Iguodala thing going on where, yeah, he's the sixth man, but he's going to play in some really important closing lineups. And then for th- for third place, I was split between Goran Dragic and Lou Williams. Ultimately, I had Lou Williams up until the very end, and then I, I, I had this thought, who is more responsible for their team's points? Uh, and to me, that was Goran Dragic, and he mattered more for Miami than I think Lou Williams mattered for the Clippers um, the Clippers still had a top, I think, five offense in the NBA. And Lou Williams was certainly a part of that, but he only averaged about two more points per game than than Goran Dragic. Dragic, um, you know, between 16 and 17 points per game for a Heat offense that was kind of in the middle of the pack in the NBA. And so I think they needed Dragic's contributions off the bench more than the Clippers needed Lou Williams' contributions off the bench. I'm not sure how fair that is. I'm not sure how much that really should matter. But when you're splitting hairs between Lou Williams and Goran Dragic, who each have a claim to be on this ballot, uh, I went with Dragic for that reason. Um, Okay, where are we now? Most improved. Let's look at most improved. Uh, Let me find it. Boom. All right, the Locked On Podcast Network's ballot. Brandon Ingram led vote getters with 34.3% of the most improved vote. Luka Doncic was second behind him at 28.6%. Bam Adebayo was third at 22.9%. And then Christian Wood from the Pistons, 8.6% of the vote. Um, And then Devontae Graham from the Charlotte Hornets got a few more votes after that. No no problem with Brandon Ingram. To me, this was a two-horse race between Brandon Ingram and Bam Adebayo. When it comes to most improved, I just don't know that... um, and Zach Lowe says this all the time. What do you do with a first to second year player in the case of Luka Doncic? What do you do with that? Because you're expected to get better from your first to your second year. I will start considering that first to second year jump when it's something I haven't seen before. When it's something I, or I should, I should say something I didn't expect to see. With Luka, we expected him to make this jump. I, I mean, I certainly did. He was sensational as a rookie. And I think everybody saw that this guy was poised to be one of the top five players in the NBA. You could argue that he was one of the top five players in the league this season. Uh, that's a substantial jump, but he didn't change his game a ton, right? He was still just doing the things that we were accustomed to seeing him do. He just did them better and more often. In the case of Brandon Ingram and Bam Adebayo, they completely revolutionized their individual games. And so I ended up going with Brandon Ingram at, uh, for number one and Bam Adebayo at my two spot here. But it, it, And I went with Brandon Ingram just because, yes, he was a scorer, but he has never scored like this. He more than doubled his three-point attempt rate. His shot chart looks completely different than what it did 
with the Lakers. He is so much more confident than he ever was with the Lakers. He's a legit scorer. He is a deserved all-star. Uh, I, I think with, with Brandon Ingram, we're looking at what could be one of the top 10 scorers in the league within a couple of years. And that is not, I think, something we would have said when the, you know this last couple of years in L.A., but with New Orleans, he's completely changed his game. He's been a way more efficient scorer defensively. He's been everywhere for them. I just think that he has taken such a leap that he is more than deserved of this spot. And then with Bam, and then by the way, with Brandon Ingram, it's not really like, yeah, he changed teams, but his opportunities didn't change that much. Uh, with Bam, his opportunity did change, right? Like Hassan Whiteside's not there in Miami, so Bam Adebayo got the start. Um and while he revolutionized his game, certainly, like we never thought he could be a secondary scorer, a go-to scorer at times, definitely a go-to playmaker for that team. What he's done defensively has been insane. Uh, he's uh, like a future defensive player of the year candidate. But the, some of it, I just, I can't shake the feeling that some of it still has to do with the fact that he's just getting more playing time because Whiteside's not there anymore. And Brandon Ingram didn't have that. So I'm not worried about him just taking a nap. Like with Ingram, he, he took more than just the natural leap. Uh, the the advance in stats was not just because of increased playing time. He just sort of checks all the boxes, so he's more than deserved. And those are the only two guys. I had Jason Tatum actually as my third uh, most improved player on my ballot just because he was more similar to uh, Brandon Ingram than I thought Luka Doncic was. Like Jason Tatum got all the playing time, but he's developed into one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. A ton of more confidence. Um, on, like just He looks like he's going to be one of the best 10 players in the league next season. And that's a huge leap, I think, for Jason Tatum, who had a little bit of a sophomore slump. There was definitely some questions about his efficiency numbers and all those things, and he changed that this year. But it was really more towards the end of the year, where I think you know Brandon Ingram did it more at the beginning of the year and for the balance of the season, filling in a lot for what Zion Williams, keeping the Pelicans in the playoff hunt when Zion Williamson was injured. And then obviously what Bam did was just a revolution for Miami. Um, all right, I've got some thoughts on Coach of the Year quickly. This is Locked on Warriors. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Cisco. Modern modernization today has the products you need to modernize your workplace, like Wi-Fi booster crystals. Let their metaphysical powers enhance connectivity and spiritually awaken your Internet of Things. At CDW, we get crystals won't modernize your network. You need Cisco Catalyst access points that are Wi-Fi 6 compatible and can help you improve reliability, increase capacity, and reduce latency. Cisco and IT orchestration by CDW. People who get it. Find out more at cdw.com slash Cisco. Today, every answer matters more than ever before. Because whether it's about health, deliveries, or finance, some things just can't wait. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage millions of calls, texts, and chats with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to help your customers find the answers they need faster, no matter the industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant to learn more. Remember to subscribe to new episodes of Locked On Warriors on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Please rate, review, and say nice things. Thanks to MyBookie for sponsoring today's show. You can send your comments and questions to me on Twitter at WCGoldberg or email them to me at WGoldberg at BayAreaNewsGroup.com. So we really only voted on the player awards as a network. But before I leave, I wanted to just give you some of my thoughts on Coach of the Year and Executive of the Year. And for Coach of the Year, I've got Nick Nurse by a mile for Toronto followed by Billy Donovan for Oklahoma City and then Eric Spolstra for Miami. A lot of people have Mike Budenholzer on their Coach of the Year ballot. I 
I just don't see the reasoning for Budenholzer. Yeah, he led the Bucks to a great record. Um, they're unbelievable. They have an inside track to making the NBA Finals, etc. I just don't give Budenholzer that much credit for recycling the game plan from last year. I know they lost Malcolm Brogdon, uh, but that doesn't matter that much. Like, that's not as big of a loss. Uh, it's not as big of a team change as a lot of these other teams had to deal with, a lot of these other coaches had to deal with. And so with Budenholzer, Coach of the Year is a one-year award. And he deserved Coach of the Year last year for revolutionizing the way the Bucks played around Giannis, no doubt. But he just sort of recycled that game plan this year, and so I'm not going to give him that much credit for that. Budenholzer, to me, like, great, you won Coach of the Year for the last regular season. Now it's time to go do this in the postseason. Budenholzer doesn't have a great track record for coaching in the postseason, definitely doesn't have the track record of success in the postseason, sometimes underperforming. You can argue they did last year. You can argue he did that with Atlanta when they won 60 games. But now he's going to need to be to, to prove that he can coach at a high level with these other guys for the playoffs, okay? So that's where Budenholzer comes in. You don't get credit for just recycling your game plan last year. You didn't have as challenging a year as these other coaches did. Nick Nurse loses Kawhi Leonard and still has Toronto near the top of the Eastern Conference. You get coach of the year, bud. You win. And I think Nick Nurse, by the way, is one of the best three coaches in the league right now. He's unbelievable, extremely creative. Uh, not just talking about the box and one stuff, guys. But uh, you got to give him credit for where he had Toronto last year in the finals and where he has them now without Kawhi. Then I've got Billy Donovan having lost Paul George, Russell Westbrook, completely reshaping that that offense and that defense around Chris Paul and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, leaning into that team and what they do well. I thought it was a tremendous coaching job for Billy Donovan. I'm actually surprised he's not getting more uh, play for Coach of the Year right now. And then I had Eric Spolster at third. Similar, like completely changed the team. At you know, acquired an All Star in Jimmy Butler, um, was able to uh, lean into the development of Bam Adebayo. What he was able to do with Duncan Robinson, you know, leaning into what it is that Duncan Robinson does well as a three point shooter and making him one of the best three point shooters in the NBA. Uh, I just think he's getting the most out of that team, out of those players, and it's a limited team. Like that is a limited roster without a ton of high end talent. And uh, I think Eric Spolster is getting the most of that group and has them in the race in the Eastern Conference legitimately. And then for executive of the year, um, I already know I'm going to be annoyed by who wins this. I think a lot of writers are going to feel like giving it to Sam Presti from the Thunder because Paul George wanted a trade and then he pivoted and ended up rebuilding the team. He moved Russell Westbrook to Houston, etc., uh, that's great and all. I, I guess like you gotta give Presty credit for getting all those draft picks and stuff. But the Thunder aren't legitimate title contenders this year. I my problem with Executive of the Year is that so much of this is like a buildup of 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 several seasons of several years of planning. And so to give one award in one like I, or to give a one season award to this, I, I have a hard time with that because to me, I sort of give this award to executives who have sort of completed the process of a years-long plan. And it just doesn't feel to me that Sam Presti did that. There have been reports that he's been secretly hoping to blow that thing up for a while now. But it wasn't a years-long plan to trade for Paul George to demand a trade and then to and, and then to revert to trading Russell Westbrook. Like That wasn't the years-long plan, right? I thought this year we saw the Lakers execute a years-long plan in acquiring Anthony Davis. We saw the Clippers execute a years-long plan and get in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. I know that both teams gave a ton of draft picks away. And, you know, media people, they tend to overvalue what it is. Like, oh my God, you had to give up so many draft picks. But they got the job done. And that was their plan all along. And they executed it 
almost flawlessly. And so to me, I think this is between, you know, Rob Polinka with uh, the Lakers and the group that's running the Clippers. And, and, and it's not really close to me. I mean, you look at the leap that both of those teams took from the Lakers not being in the playoffs last year and the Clippers being an eighth seed last year. I mean, you've got to give it to one of those two teams. I'm giving it to the Lakers, uh, or I don't know. I could also give it to the Clippers. It doesn't really matter to me. What matters to me is that the the Thunder <laughs> don't get it because I just they they were reacting, and I don't think you get awards for reacting like that. I think you should get an award for being proactive for a years long plan coming to fruition. And I think the Lakers and the Clippers both did that. I'll be back tomorrow with my thoughts on how the Warriors can get in the mix for these awards next season. Thanks for listening, and stay safe. San Jose Sharks hockey is back, and we've got you covered five days a week at Locked On Sharks. I'm Kyle Demetrius. I'm J.D. Young. I'm Eric Fowl. Together, we make sure you're never without your Sharks programming. Will the Sharks make a trade for a right winger? We got you covered. Will Eric Carlson's groin hold up for the entire season? We've got you covered. Whatever happens with Team Teal every day, we've got you covered at Locked On Sharks five days a week on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.